0: When I was an Army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're going to be um, looking at the life of Moses, the beginning, the origin story, and his arc. The origin story of every superhero is kind of like this, a miraculous rescue birth story. Here, Moses is um, introduced to us with a harrowing tale of being saved from the water, being saved from the wrath of Pharaoh. His parents try to hide him as a baby because all the boy babies are being exterminated by Pharaoh Pharaoh fears that the Hebrew people are growing in strength, that they will be a threat to him, that they might ally with some invader. And so his genocidal extermination of the Hebrew people is thwarted or attempted to be thwarted by this young couple who have given birth to this child. They have an older daughter and she's okay, but the sun is a risk, a huge risk to them, and especially to the son. So what she does, after three months of, of this kind of torture, of worrying about being discovered, trying to hide a baby, as you know, uh, and I know, babies are loud. It's really hard, especially in the night, to keep them completely quiet. And so after three months of this, as the child's cries get louder and louder, and there's just not a way to keep him hidden, she makes this little ark. The word in Hebrew is the same word for Noah's ark. It's only used in these two contexts. Um, This little ark is made by Tumen and Pitch, similar building materials to the original ark of Noah. Bitumen um, comes out of the ground in this part of the world, in the Middle East, as we call it today. It is a residue of larger oil deposits that are far below the surface. If you go to uh, places like Iraq and Egypt, but I'm thinking of Iraq, it's a place I've been, there are uh, pools of bitumen out and about. that people have used for a long time to keep their boats dry, and she makes this little ark for him, and she puts it on the in the reeds of the river. Um, the journey of Moses down the river, um, with the crocodiles of the Nile, uh, should give us a, a realization of the kind of faith that Moses's mother has. We um, can't imagine what went through her mind, but she is desperate. Most acts of great faith are done in desperation. They are done when we've tried everything else, when we've exhausted every possibility, when we've even sort of given up hope that there's a solution to our problems that makes sense to anyone or us. And this almost absurd solution is an act of faith and trust in God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. With what prayers she prayed, we don't know. All we know is that the sister of Moses follows her down the river, watching the basket among the reeds. Um, whether the ark travels down the river or not, that is hard to tell from the text, It's hard to tell if the boat sort of stays in the reeds and Moses' sister walks beside it, or she's just walking beside it, watching, hard to know, but this is what she does. Now, Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river with her entourage and there she discovers this basket right away. They know it's one of the Hebrews children likely because of circumcision. Hard to know any other way she would know. And she has pity on this child who is crying, crying out for his mother, crying out as God's people are crying out in their enslavement by Pharaoh. Here, the cries of God's people are heard by someone in Pharaoh's house. It is unlikely that Pharaoh's daughter was aware how many people in her father's kingdom were crying. The rich and powerful are often shielded from what is really happening in people's lives, in their real lives, on the ground. And so this little baby, Moses, enters the Pharaoh's house, and she raises him. In an ironic twist of fate, she summons a wet nurse, Of the Hebrew women, Um, they are thought to be better at this than the Egyptian elites. For all through human history, the powerful and wealthy and privileged have looked to um, the people that have very little power for raising their children and even providing milk for them. This was a practice um, that was... uh, This was done to enslave people here in this country um, for many years, as well as um, around the world. And so this little baby Moses grows up as one of the household of Pharaoh, grows up um, to be uh, in the Pharaoh's household. You've seen the movies um, of, you know, Ramesses, Charlton Heston, and others doing this sort of dance. There's not a lot about any of those kinds of relationships in the story. The um, directors of and writers of Ten Commandments certainly took liberties with the text. Um, I don't believe there's any indication that the pharaohs change, um, but who knows um, how it goes. We don't really even know which pharaoh. We know that one of the cities is named Ramses, that the Hebrew people build may be named after Ramses II. He is often seen as the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Um, for biblical scholars, there is a great debate on when this, these events happened or if they happened at all. Um, an early date of the Exodus is a more conservative position. Um, a late date for the Exodus is a more, a uh, skeptical perspective, and no date for the Exodus is probably the most skeptical of all of them. Um, and the text doesn't tell us the year that these things happen. But if you read the story, um, we can see real human lives in these stories. We see Moses watching the beating of one of the Hebrew enslaved people, one of his kinfolk. He has a awareness, um, not sure what, how or why he knows this, but he knows that he is not an Egyptian the way the Pharaoh's household is. He is aware of this somehow. And Prince of Egypt, Ten Commandments, and other films kind of tell us how he discovers this. The text does not. But he sees this Hebrew slave being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster, um, and he kills him. The Hebrew here is he strikes him. Uh, He looks both ways, it says. And that's a good lesson for all of us. If you ever have to look both ways before you do something, you probably know um, it's either wrong in the moral framework that you're living in or your conscience is telling you something about it. But here he strikes this Egyptian man who is beating these enslaved people, this enslaved man. He strikes him. Um, here in the in the English translation, it says he kills him. Um, whether he meant to kill the man or not, it's hard to say. Um, but he dies and he kills him. Um, and then he realizes he's going to be in trouble, especially when these other two enslaved people see him coming, breaking up one of their fights. And you see how this works. When there's oppression from the top, when there's brutality from the top of a system, the people at the bottom of the system often enact the brutality of the top on each other. This is why systems of abuse are so damaging long-term for people, for their, for real human lives. That those systems of abuse that are poured down from the powerful on the less powerful manifest with, in, with each other in really awful ways. So the beating of the Egyptians on the Hebrews now is that Hebrew, the Hebrew enslaved people are fighting with each other. Um, brutality breeds brutality and leads to brutality and cruelty and hardship. Um, it does not produce kindness and gentleness and love. Only love can do that. And these are people that ex- are experiencing very little of that. He breaks up the fight and they say, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? The same thing Moses will hear many years from now, maybe 80 years from now, when he's leading God's people out of Egypt. People that he's leading say the same thing to him Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? And here they're saying it to him in this context. He realizes that. The thing that he did is known, that he's killed this Egyptian. And then Pharaoh hears of it and tries to kill him. He runs away to Midian. There he meets the priest of Midian, this family that's living out in Midian. Um, They are followers of the true God. They are followers of the same God, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though they are not part of the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, the Bible only tells us the storyline that is important to the storyline for us. It does not tell us the storyline that's important for other stories and other people's. Um, we have our story in the Bible. Um, other people have their stories other places. And it's always good to approach um, our salvation and our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with God through Jesus with humility knowing that there are many other stories. There are many other ways that people connect to God. And so Moses starts over in the desert. He starts over um, not as a a pharaoh and a powerful man in a powerful kingdom, but as a shepherd with really next to nothing. He He gets married. He gives birth to a son. And this is now his new life, tending sheep on the backside of the desert. His fall from grace um, is also part of what God is doing. Up till now, even though it says God was aware of what was happening to the Hebrew babies by Pharaoh, it it doesn't say that God has really noticed a whole lot that's going on with his people in Egypt. But it is in this moment, with Moses far away from Egypt, that God hears the cries of God's people in the land of Egypt. And so the solution to that, those cries is Moses. He's the solution. And God is getting him ready. He spends 40 years in the land of Midian. Um, that's a long time to get ready for something. And um, we are impatient people. We often think that, that um, we should be ready, and I'm talking to myself here, For our big challenges right away, or we're already ready. But God is getting us ready for all these things. And there's no rush to any of it, even though it seems like there is. It does seem like there's a rush to do what's right. But for God, this is what God is doing. This is God's method of delivering God's people. And Moses is part of that story. And so is his sister, the one who watched over him in the basket. And so is his mother. And so is his brother. And so is all the people of God who will rescue God's people from enslavement. So be patient today. If you're waiting for God to do something or waiting for something to happen, be patient. 40 years is sort of what God does. That's the program. Maybe give God 40 days like we do in Lent or 40 years or um, 40 months. I don't know what what the program of God will do in your life. But be patient. God is not finished with Moses yet. God is not finished with you or me yet. Amen. Almighty God, his most dear son went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace through the same Thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In prayer for mission on 58, O God, who hast made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and did send Thy blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near, grant that people everywhere may seek after You, after Thee, seek after Thee and find Thee, bring the nations into Thy fold, pour out thy Spirit upon all flesh and hasten the coming of thy kingdom. The same thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.